0: chapter thirty five part two of the wonderful adventures of nils by selma lagerloff translated by velma swanston howard this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by gerald moe tucker georgia with the laplanders the next morning Ola sirka himself who was the most distinguished man among the laps had said that he would find osa's father but he appeared to be in no haste and sat huddled outside the tent thinking of john esserson and wondering how best to tell him of his daughter's arrival it would require diplomacy in order that john esserson might not become alarmed and flee he was an odd sort of man who was afraid of children. He used to say that the sight of them made him so melancholy that he could not endure it. While Ola Sirka deliberated, Osa, the goose-girl, and Aslak, the young lap-boy, who had stared so hard at her the night before, sat on the ground in front of the tent and chatted. Aslak had been to school and could speak Swedish. He was telling Osa, about the life of the same folk assuring her that they fared better than other people osa thought that they lived wretchedly and told him so you don't know what you are talking about said aslak curtly only stop with us a week and you shall see that we are the happiest people on earth if i were to stop here a whole week i should be choked by all the smoke in the tent osa retorted don't say that protested the boy you know nothing of us let me tell you something which will make you understand that the longer you stay with us the more contented you will become thereupon aslak began to tell osa how a sickness called the black plague once raged throughout the land he was not certain as to whether it had swept through the real Samiland land where they now were but in jamt land it had raged so brutally among the same folk who lived in the forests and mountains there all had died except a boy of fifteen among the swedes who lived in the valleys none was left but a girl who was also fifteen years old the boy and girl separately tramped the desolate country all winter in search of other human beings Finally, toward spring, the two met. Aslak continued. The Swedish girl begged the lap boy to accompany her southward, where she could meet people of her own race. She did not wish to tarry any longer in Jamtland, where there were only vacant homesteads. "'I'll take you wherever you wish to go,' said the boy, "'but not before winter. It's spring now, and my reindeer go westward toward the mountains.' YOU KNOW THAT WE WHO ARE OF THE SAME FOLK MUST GO WHERE OUR REINDEER TAKE US. THE SWEDISH GIRL WAS THE DAUGHTER OF WEALTHY PARENTS. SHE WAS USED TO LIVING UNDER A ROOF, SLEEPING IN A BED, AND EATING AT A TABLE. SHE HAD ALWAYS DESPISED THE POOR MOUNTAINEERS, AND THOUGHT THAT THOSE WHO LIVED UNDER THE OPEN SKY WERE MOST UNFORTUNATE. BUT SHE WAS AFRAID TO RETURN TO HER HOME, WHERE THERE WERE NONE BUT THE DEAD. At least let me go with you to the mountains, she said to the boy, so that I shan't have to tramp about here all alone, and never hear the sound of a human voice. The boy willingly assented, so the girl went with the reindeer to the mountains. The herd yearned for the good pastures there, and every day tramped long distances to feed on the moss. There was not time to pitch the tents." The children had to lie on the snowy ground and sleep when the reindeer stopped to graze. The girl often sighed and complained of being so tired that she must turn back to the valley. Nevertheless, she went along to avoid being left without human companionship. When they reached the highlands, the boy pitched a tent for the girl on a pretty hill that sloped toward a mountain brook. In the evening— he lassoed and milked the reindeer, and gave the girl milk to drink. He brought forth dried reindeer meat and reindeer cheese, which his people had stowed away on the heights when they were there the summer before. Still the girl grumbled all the while, and was never satisfied. She would eat neither reindeer meat nor reindeer cheese, nor would she drink reindeer milk. She could not accustom herself to squatting in the tent, or to lying on the ground with only a reindeer-skin and some spruce twigs for a bed. The son of the mountains laughed at her woes, and continued to treat her kindly. After a few days the girl went up to the boy when he was milking, and asked if she might help him. She next undertook to make the fire under the kettle, in which the reindeer meat was to be cooked, then to carry water and to make cheese so the time passed pleasantly the weather was mild and food was easily procured together they set snares for game fished for salmon trout in the rapids and picked cloudberries in the swamp when the summer was gone they moved farther down the mountains where pine and leaf forests meet there they pitched their tent they had to work hard every day but fared better for food was even more plentiful than in the summer because of the game when the snow came and the lakes began to freeze they drew further east toward the dense pine forests as soon as the tent was up the winter's work began the boy taught the girl to make twine from reindeer sinews to treat skins to make shoes and clothing of hides to make combs and tools of reindeer horn to travel on skis, and to drive a sledge drawn by reindeer. When they had lived through the dark winter and the sun began to shine all day and most of the night, the boy said to the girl that now he would accompany her southward so that she might meet some of her own race. Then the girl looked at him astonished. "'Why do you want to send me away?' she asked. "'Do you long to be alone with your reindeer?' "'I thought that you were the one that longed to get away,' said the boy. "'I have lived the life of the Same folk almost a year now,' replied the girl. "'I can't return to my people and live the shut-in life "'after having wandered freely on mountains and in forests. "'Don't drive me away, but let me stay here. "'Your way of living is better than ours.' "'The girl stayed with the boy the rest of her life,' and never again did she long for the valleys. And you, Osa, if you were to stay with us only a month, you could never again part from us. With these words, Aslak the lap boy finished his story. Just then his father, Ola Serka, took the pipe from his mouth and rose. Old Ola understood more Swedish than he was willing to have anyone know, and he had overheard his son's remarks. While he was listening, it had suddenly flashed on him how he should handle this delicate matter of telling John Esserson that his daughter had come in search of him. Ola Serka went down to Lake Luosa Juare, and had walked a short distance along the strand, when he happened upon a man who sat on a rock fishing the fisherman was grey-haired and bent. His eyes blinked wearily, and there was something slack and helpless about him. He looked like a man who had tried to carry a burden too heavy for him, or to solve a problem too difficult for him, who had become broken and despondent over his failure. "'You must have had luck with your fishing, John, since you've been at it all night,' said the mountaineer in lapish as he approached. THE FISHERMAN GAVE A START, THEN GLANCED UP. THE BAIT ON HIS HOOK WAS GONE, AND NOT A FISH LAY ON THE STRAND BESIDE HIM. HE HASTENED TO rebait THE HOOK AND THROW OUT THE LINE. IN THE MEANTIME THE MOUNTAINEER SQUATTED ON THE GRASS BESIDE HIM. THERE'S A MATTER THAT I WANTED TO TALK OVER WITH YOU, SAID OLA. YOU KNOW THAT I HAD A LITTLE DAUGHTER WHO DIED LAST WINTER, AND WE HAVE ALWAYS MISSED HER IN THE TENT. "'Yes, I know,' said the fisherman abruptly, a cloud passing over his face, as though he disliked being reminded of a dead child. "'It's not worth while to spend one's life grieving,' said the Laplander. "'I suppose it isn't. "'Now I'm thinking of adopting another child. Don't you think it would be a good idea?' "'That depends on the child, Ola.' "'I will tell you what I know of the girl,' said Ola then he told the fisherman that around midsummer time two strange children a boy and a girl had come to the mines to look for their father but as their father was away they had stayed to await his return while there the boy had been killed by a blast of rock thereupon ola gave a beautiful description of how brave the little girl had been and of how she had won the admiration and sympathy of every "'Is that the girl you want to take into your tent?' asked the fisherman. "'Yes,' returned the lap. "'When we heard her story we were all deeply touched, and said among ourselves that so good a sister would also make a good daughter, and we hoped that she would come to us.' The fisherman sat quietly thinking a moment. It was plain that he continued the conversation, ONLY TO PLEASE HIS FRIEND, THE LAP. I PRESUME THE GIRL IS ONE OF YOUR RACE. NO, SAID OLA, SHE DOESN'T BELONG TO THE SAME FOLK. PERHAPS SHE'S THE DAUGHTER OF SOME NEW SETTLER AND IS ACCUSTOMED TO THE LIFE HERE. NO, SHE IS FROM FAR SOUTH, REPLIED OLA. AS IF THIS WAS OF SMALL IMPORTANCE. THE FISHERMAN GREW MORE INTERESTED. THEN I DON'T BELIEVE THAT YOU CAN TAKE HER, HE SAID. "'It's doubtful if she could stand living in a tent in winter, since she was not brought up that way. "'She will find kind parents and kind brothers and sisters in the tent,' insisted Ola Serka. "'It's worse to be alone than to freeze.' The fisherman became more and more zealous to prevent the adoption. It seemed as if he could not bear the thought of a child of Swedish parents being taken in by Laplanders.' You said just now that she had a father in the mind. He's dead, said the Lap abruptly. I suppose you have thoroughly investigated this matter, Ola. What's the use of going to all that trouble? disdained the Lap. I ought to know. Would the girl and her brother have been obliged to roam about the country if they had a father living? Would two children have been forced to care for themselves if they had a father? THE GIRL HIMSELF THINKS HE'S ALIVE, BUT I SAY THAT HE MUST BE DEAD. THE MAN WITH THE TIRED EYES TURNED TO OLA. WHAT IS THE GIRL'S NAME, OLA? HE ASKED. THE MOUNTAINEER THOUGHT A WHILE, THEN SAID, I CAN'T REMEMBER IT. I MUST ASK HER. ASK HER? IS SHE ALREADY HERE? SHE'S DOWN AT THE CAMP. WHAT, OLA, HAVE YOU TAKEN HER IN BEFORE KNOWING HER FATHER'S WISHES? what do i care for her father if he isn't dead he's probably the kind of man who cares nothing for his child he may be glad to have another take her in hand the fisherman threw down his rod and rose with an alertness in his movements that bespoke new life i don't think her father can be like other folk continued the mountaineer i dare say he is a man who is haunted by gloomy forebodings and therefore cannot work steadily. What kind of a father would that be for a girl?" While Ola was talking the fisherman started up the strand. "'Where are you going?' queried the Lapp. "'I'm going to have a look at your foster daughter, Ola.' "'Good,' said the Lapp. "'Come along and meet her. I think you'll say that she will be a good daughter to me.' The Swede rushed on so rapidly that the Laplander could hardly keep pace with him. After a moment Ola said to his companion, "'Now I recall that her name is Osa, this girl I'm adopting.' The other man only kept hurrying along, and old Sirka was so well pleased that he wanted to laugh aloud. When they came in sight of the tents Ola said a few words more she came here to us same folk to find her father and not become my foster-child but if she doesn't find him i shall be glad to keep her in my tent the fisherman hasted all the faster i might have known that he would be alarmed when i threatened to take his daughter into the lapsed quarters laughed ola to himself when the man from kiruna who had brought osa to the tent turned back later in the day he had two people with him in the boat who sat close together holding hands as if they never again wanted to part they were john esserson and his daughter both were unlike what they had been a few hours earlier the father looked less bent and weary and his eyes were clear and good as if at last he had found the answer to that which had troubled him so long osa the goose girl did not glance longingly about for she had found some one to care for her and now she could be a child again End of chapter thirty five part two recording by gerald mo tucker georgia